Thank you so much, praise man and praise team. And uh, what a great morning of worship we've had together today. Amen? Today I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to John's Gospel, chapter number 10. John's Gospel, chapter number 10 is where we're at today. And uh, we uh, are going to begin a new series of messages. And today's message is sort of a, uh, an introduction to the whole series and uh, that will begin next week. And or this week, and uh, go over the course of the next seven or eight weeks or so. And so uh, I uh, want to give you an overview and an introduction to that today. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, I, I just want to recognize one person who's with us today. And uh, a, a fellow pastor and friend of mine is here today, and it's Brother Richard Newcomb. And I'm going to ask Brother Richard to stand, please, he and his wife, please. And uh, we want to welcome you all today, and we're glad to have you in worship. <laughs> Brother Richard, I've known for a long time, given leadership in our state convention, but also in our association, and recently has retired as the senior pastor at Whitelaw Avenue Baptist Church in Wood River, and uh, where he served for a long time. And uh, the Lord used him in a great way. Brother Richard, an f- interesting thing uh, between that church and this one is that in 1956, Whitelaw Avenue was the sponsoring mother church of Bethel Baptist Church in Troy, Illinois. Isn't that an amazing thought? thought? And uh, that is really cool. <clears throat> Richard was not the pastor there when uh, that happened, but uh, that is a, a point of history that uh, I wanted you to, to know about. So if you look with me, so do I believe in church planting? I do, because when churches like that involved in planting other churches, then uh, it has an impact in that whole community and an impact on both congregations. Amen? Amen. Now, today, John's Gospel, chapter 10. I want to talk about abundant life, and we're just going to look at one scripture verse together today, today uh, but we'll look at other, many other verses, but I want to focus in on this one verse, and many of you know it from memory. If you look with me to John, chapter 10, verse number 10. And today, we're, we're, uh, it, the Lord simply says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Father in heaven, I pray that God, you would speak to us through your word today. That, Father, that we would hear your voice. That, Lord, that we would be obedient to you. Father, I pray that we would set aside the things that distract us. And I pray that we would discern the difference between your voice and the enemy's voice. And, Father, I pray that today that we would no longer be blinded by the enemy. And that, Father, we no longer would be pilfered by the enemy. And Father, I pray that we no longer would walk in destruction with the enemy, but Father, that we might find life that you offer, and that life full and abundant. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hate it when people lie to me. I hate it when people steal from me. Has anybody ever had somebody steal something from you? Do you like it? How did it make you feel? 
It feels like a violation of your rights, doesn't it? It, it steals away not only that item that they take, but the security that you felt, the safety that you felt. I've had things stolen from me. I've had people break into my cars, steal laptops out of my cars and money out of my car and, and steal, when I was a kid, bicycle and lawnmowers and break into our house and try to steal guns, which happened to my in-law's house try to, and a property, uh, stolen books and stolen... As a little boy, somebody stole my baseball glove. I'm still mad about it. I hate it when people steal because they, they violate you. I've been deceived and lied to, stolen from by unscrupulous salespeople who try to deceive you and lie to you. I despise it when somebody lies to me. They pretend to tell you the truth, but they're just deceiving you. They're not honest. You can't trust them. You can't depend on them. And they treat you as if you're a fool. They make you an object that wants to be manipulated. They try to manipulate. They devalue you as a person when they lie to you. We've all lied. But when it makes it a habit of your life, it feels personal when it's happening to you. I hate it when I'm lied about. People make up stuff, tell stuff that's not true. They impugn your character. They make themselves maybe to look better. Sometimes they pretend to act like they're in the know about something that they know nothing about. And we have all experienced these things. But in John chapter 10, Jesus is explaining to us that there is one who is a father of lies and one who hates you and wants to destroy you. If you look with me to John's gospel, chapter 10, open your Bible or turn it on and chat verse number one. Notice with me, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in Another way, that man is a thief and a robber. You see, he enters by stealth. He doesn't enter by the door. He doesn't, isn't honest. He doesn't have integrity. But his motives are to steal from you. And so rather than come to the front door, rather than being honest, instead this man is slipping around and climbing over the wall, climbing in through a window. That's because his desires are dishonest. And that's why he's not up front. And this is a robber, a thief. Verse number two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So over against this thief and robber is the shepherd. And uh, he he comes to the door. He, 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 he's, up front, he, verse number three, he says the gatekeeper opens the door. Often it would be the sh- shepherd himself that would 
make up the door in the sheepfold. But he said sometimes a man's hired to be the gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper knows the shepherd, and he opens up the sheep pen. He opens up the sheepfold enclosure. And what happens? The sheep hear his voice. They know his name. And he calls his own sheep by name. He not, they, sheep not only know him, he knows them. And he knows them, each and every one, by their own name. And he leads them. He guides them out. How does he do it? He does it by going himself. Verse number four, and when he's brought out all of his own, what does he do? He goes before them. <clears throat> and the sheep follow him. Why? <clears throat> because they know his voice. They trust his voice, and they know his voice, and they follow him. Verse 5. A stranger. Hmm. They will not follow. <clears throat> because uh, they do not know the voice of strangers. So they'll flee from them. One. It says in verse 5, they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 5, it says, but they will flee for him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Wow. There's a fear in them because this isn't their shepherd, not their true shepherd. But it's someone who has a desire to steal and to harm. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, notice what Jesus says, verse 7. Again, he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is one of the great I am statements of Jesus. And he's saying, I am. As uh, uh, I am in my person, I am in my identity, I am as the Son of God, I am in that language of deity, I am what? I am the door of the sheep. What does he mean? He says, I am the way of entry. I am the way to becoming a part of the flock of God. I am your protection. I am the one who provides for you. I am the one that gives you security. I am the one that gives you salvation. He also says in verse 8, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. He says, I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, provision, protection, salvation. It's found in one only, and that is Jesus Christ alone is our Savior. All others are strangers. All others are pretenders. And all others are truly robbers. They want to do you in. They find salvation in pasture. But verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That is his motive, is to steal. Let's look at this motive. There's a three-pronged motive all wrapped up in the deceptive, nefarious heart of this thief. First of all, he comes to steal. He steals what is not his. He wants to rob from you, deplete you. He disrespects you. 
He hates you. This morning, tell your neighbor, the thief hates you. He hates you. He is not your friend. He is a liar and a thief. And he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your grandchildren. He wants to destroy your legacy. He wants to destroy your witness. And he wants to destroy your name. And he wants to denigrate the name of your Savior if he can destroy your life. He's a liar and a thief. He does not love you. He hates you. And he's in opposition to God himself. The thief comes to steal. Secondly, he comes to kill. He not only wants to take what's from you, he wants to destroy your life. He wants to steal away the most basic thing, life, that God in heaven has given you, the very breath and meaning of life. And he wants to kill it and quench it in you. That's what he wants. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life, leave nothing of value in your life. He wants to bring utter ruin into your life. He wants to erase, if he could, your very existence. That's what he wants to do. Because he hates you. Because he's a liar. He's the father of lies. Jesus said when he speaks, he speaks out of his own nature. He's a liar. From the beginning, he's a liar. He's an accuser. He's called the accuser. He accuses you to your own self. He wants to accuse you. You're not really a a Christian, you're really no kind of man, you really are not a follower, you really, he brings up all of your old sins, holds them up in front of you. He's an accuser against you, to you, taking stuff and failures and brings them up to you. He brings your family heritage, family history, and he brings it up to you and says, look, this is the kind of people you're from. This is the kind of background that you have. This is This is what your father was like and your grandfather was like. And this is who you are. You're a nothing. That's who you are. That's what, am I lying? That's the command. He's an accuser. He not only accuses you to your own self, but he accuses God to you. God doesn't really want best for you. God doesn't really care for you. That's not so. God knows the day that you'll eat it, you'll be more like him. God's holding out on you. 
God isn't taking care of you. Why, God, where is God when you've got sickness in your family? Where is God when you go through tragedy? God doesn't really care about you. And he brings and accuses God to you. Is that true? Not only that, he accuses you to God. He wants to accuse you to God like he did to Job. He wants to accuse you to others. That's what the thief does. This liar and this accuser, he wants to begin a whisper campaign among other people against you because he hates unity and wants division. And that's what the accuser does. But he also accuses other people to you and wants you to think the worst about people rather than the best about them. This is what the accuser comes. But Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have what? Life! And that life abundant, full and meaningful life. Jesus himself says in the next verse, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The Lord loves you. Listen, Satan hates you, but Jesus loves you. Tell your neighbor, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He came to give you life, full and meaningful and abundant. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. I've come that you have life. Life from God, life that's real, life that's attended. But not just life, man, abundant life, full and meaningful overwhelming, abundant life. That's what God in heaven wants to give you. By the way, for those running slides, it'll be a long time till we get in the full of the blanks. I've got a lengthy introduction today. Hmm. Are there biblical examples of abundance of God's love and grace toward us? Uh, there are. Scripture's filled with them. In the Old Testament, remember about Abram. He was, remember he was, uh, Abram by his own, that was a wandering Aramean. He, he, he came from the Ur of the Chaldea, Chaldees and then uh, and, and Mesopotamia and, and then over to Padan Aram. And, and then he stops with his father and family and clan. But God speaks to him and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And he believed him. He, he listened to the voice of God and he headed out to Canaan to, to go to where God would have him to go. He took with him Sarah and his family and he took a lot of his nephew along with him and they made their way to the land that God would show him. While he sojourned there and built altars and relationships, God was blessing him. And Abram became wealthy with flocks and herds and and servants and people, but he had no heir. And he complains, he says, God, I've gathered all of this to give it to my servant, Eliezer of Damascus. My servant will inherit all of this. But God says, oh no, 
He said, I told you when I called you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a people. I'm telling you, your influence will be like the stars of the sky or sand of the sea. I'm going to make your name great and awesome. I'm going to bless you. In chapter number 15, he's saying, but God, I I have no heir. And he says, oh, no, these will not go to Eliezer, your servant. But I'm telling you. I'm going to make your name great. This is what I want you to know. I want you to look. Look to the north and look to the south and look to the east and look to the west. I want you to notice and look. And from Egypt to the Euphrates and from the great sea to Mesopotamia, I'm giving you this land and your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. And it will come from your own body. I'm going to bring you a son. Abraham misunderstands, and Sarah and him cannot have children, and she is barren. So he, he, he takes Hagar, her servant. But that wasn't God's ultimate plan for Abram as his descendants. He comes back and explains further to Abraham, no, you're going to have a baby. He's 100 years old. Folks, that just doesn't happen in everybody's book. And, and, and she's 90-something. And Sarah's eavesdropping on the conversation between the angels and uh, speaking God's word to Abram. And she giggles and laughs at the idea of her getting pregnant and have a baby. And the angel said, Sarah laughed. Sarah said, no, no, I didn't laugh. Yeah, yeah, you did. We heard. And you know what? You're going to have a baby. You know what? A year later, headlines, Palestinian Post. 90-year-old woman is having a baby. What'd they name him? Isaac. What's Isaac sound like? Laughter. (laughs) She wondered, in my old age, will I know laughter and joy? God's abundance. He becomes the child of promise because Abraham believed God And it was credited to him. Righteousness. Isn't that awesome? Another story of abundance. Second Second Kings chapter 4. Interesting story. Elisha is the prophet, the man of God. And there are many other prophets. There's a school of prophets. And one of the prophet young men died. He has a wife and two small children. She comes to the prophet and she says, I'm in a bad way. She says, well, my husband has died and he was serving the Lord. He was one of the prophets and, and now he's dead and we have debts and creditors and we're in debt. I don't know what I'm going to do and how am I going to provide for my family? And she said, and they're going to come and they're going to take my children away and, and they'll be in slavery and and now we'll be servants and, 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 and slaves. And maybe I'll be separated from my... I, she just was overwhelmed with the hopelessness of the situation. And the man of God says, what do you have? She says, all I have is a little bit of oil. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to all your neighbors. A friend, you have any neighbors? You have any friends? You have any enemies? 
Go to all of them. And I want you to borrow pots, vessels from them, and get as many vessels as you can possibly get. And so she did. And she went and gathered all these pots and vessels. You remember the story. And she gathers them, and she brings them home. She incorporates the boys to help her, and they come into the house, and they close the door. And then she takes that little jar of oil, just as the prophet said, and she begins to pour it into the pot. And the pot fills up, but there's still oil in the little jar. And she said, bring me another one, and she fills it up. And she said, bring me another one, and she fills it up. Can you bring me another one? Mama, what is going on? Mommy, do you have oil in your pockets? No, it's God. And he begins, she begins to fill those pots until the last pot. He says, Mama, it's the last one. And she fills it. And when she fills it up, the oil stopped. And the prophet said, sell your oil, pay off your debts, and live on the rest. Woo! Abundant grace to provide for us all. Your life situation may seem hopeless. I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven that can make a 100-year-old man and 90-year-old woman have babies and fill pots in your life and deal with the difficulties because he came that you have life and that life upon them. Do you believe him? Can he bring abundance into your life? Mm Mm-hmm. I could go on with story after story. We could talk about the 5,000s fed, right? You remember they said, Lord, send them home, right? So they can go get something to eat. He said, you feed them. They said, we, don't, we, don't. we got five loaves, two smoked fish. He said, well, have them sit down. Bring me what you've got. Set them in groups of 50. And he looked up into heaven. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And he gave it to them. And they started distributing it. (laughs) And 5,000 men, plus women, plus children, huge crowd. They all ate. They all were satisfied. And guess what was left over? Twelve baskets left over so that those disciples had to carry 12 baskets all day long and remember that God can abundantly provide maybe it seems overwhelming but he comes that you have life and that abundant amen this is God's plan for you He wants you to have abundance in your marriage, abundance in relationships, abundance in your testimony, abundance of joy in your life, faith that the God's Spirit would be just welling up in you, overflowing out of you. This is the life God wants you. He does not want you to live a pauper life. He's called you to be a... Whoa. He called you to be sons and daughters of the king. Wow. So what, now we're getting to the fill in the blanks, what 
holds us back? What trips us up? What keeps us from being, experiencing, knowing this life? Over the course of the next few Sundays, we're going to look at these and look at the things that trip us up, but also the things that step us up into experiencing this life that God wants for us. One of them is forgiveness. One of the keys to abundance is forgiveness in your life. Here's, here's what will trip you up. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. Ha- hanging on to grudges. That will ruin your life. But what helps you to step up to experience this is knowing, experiencing God's forgiveness in your own life and then your forgiveness of your own self. Forgiveness of those who sinned against you and seeking forgiveness when you've been the one who've sinned against someone else. Because relationships with God, and with one another, are essential. The first and greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbors yourself. And here's what happens. When I'm not in a forgiveness relationship with God, that relationship's broken. And if I'm not in a forgiveness relationship with fellow man, that relationship's broken. And so for me to find the abundance of this love in the vertical and the horizontal, then a, it, it means God has to do a, a change in me and know and experience His forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So, we're going to have a whole sermon about that, about forgiveness. Amen? Number two, mercy. This is compassion and mercy and living a life of compassion. I'll tell you what holds us back. This is the thing that will crimp your spiritual life. This is the thing that will hold you back is that when you become, rather than compassionate and merciful, you are apathetic and judgmental toward the broken world. God cares for the brokenhearted. He saw them as broken, as cast off, as Sheep without shepherds, weighed down, injured, neglected. I don't know how you see the world, but when we begin to see the world and feel for the world in alignment with our Father, then we begin to experience an abundance in this life. We begin to see the character of Jesus, the very name of God himself, And who he is 
starts to be manifest in us. Are you all with me? When we start loving like he loves, life begins to well up in us. Number three. Giving. To lack of, lack, uh, a life of sacrifice, of giving. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap that's abundant. For with the measure you use, be measured back to you. Wow. You see, it's about giving of my life in sacrifice. Notice what he says. I'm not judgmental, I don't condemn, I forgive, and I give. These are linked together in a heart that's warm toward God. And we're going to talk about a life of giving, how it opens up abundance in your life. Number four, it also demonstrates the character of Jesus that's in you. Number four, training. Training yourself for purpose and godliness. 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that all of us run in a race, runners race, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do so to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Next verse, please. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. Keep it under control, lest after I've preached to others, I myself would be disqualified. There's, there's a training, a discipline uh, to my life. Folks, if you're going to be all the man or woman that God wants you to be in your life, stay with me, then you must purpose to train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Listen, bodily training has some benefit. I'm trying to convince myself of this in the new year. Bodily exercise and training certainly has some benefit, but I need to train myself for the purpose of godliness, to live a godly and right, true life. And it requires a level of Work and discipline. It's God. Now listen, listen. You can't sanctify yourself any more than you can save yourself. But there's a cooperative work with God's Spirit. For God is at work in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. His mighty power working in you. But there's also... A responsiveness to that. Number five. Humility. You'll never be a great person. You'll never have great impact. And you'll really never know abundance of life when you're filled with pride, arrogance, and selfishness in your life. Likewise, those who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourself. Did you hear? Look at that. Be subject 
We don't like that, do we? Be under authority. There's just some people that are totally resistant to authority, don't want to be under authority. Clothe yourselves, all of you, how? With what? Humility, how? Toward what? One another. Now, stay with me. God is opposed to whom? The proud. But gives what? Grace. To whom? Humble. (coughs) Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may lift you up. You want to know? Abundance begins with humility. We got a lot to teach there. That's one of the other sermons. Amen? Y'all are picking now which ones I'm coming to and which ones I'm not. Number six, discernment. Jacob and I were talking about this this week and praying about how to discern, how to discern what's really right and wrong and, and how what's really the difference between the better and the best and about what's true and what's false. Psalm chapter 1 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that it does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. On that Sunday, the message on discernment will be an exposition of Psalm 1. I think you'll find it a great blessing in your life as we look at it together. Finally today, the next message is going to be on perspective. Living a life that matters to God, not matters to the world, but matters to God. Not matters to your friends, but matters to God. Not about promoting who you are, but about promoting what God is about in this world. Folks, this world is not our home. We're citizens of heaven. Aren't you glad, bar on the title of the movie from a long time ago, this is not as good as it gets. God's got something greater. Beloved, this is who we are. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. Folks, let's live here with the right perspective. Amen? So that's the introduction to this series of messages. It's going to be fun, isn't it? It's really instructive. Invite others. Bring them to hear. And in every message, we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that is our only hope. Amen? Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Father, as we 
have this hymn, this song of response. We get the opportunity to respond to you. Respond, respond to how your spirit is speaking in us and to us. Father, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me. You come. Don't delay. Don't put it off. You come. Let the Lord have his way in your life.